Hello. I'm happy to be here. Um, I suppose it would be nice if we darkened that a little bit. Well, we'll see what happens. So I'm, uh, I'm a Maya archaeologist. I work in Belize. So I'm here to tell you a little bit about the uh, uh, inscriptions on the monuments in the Maya area that led to the belief that the world would end on December 21st or 23rd. Some, some Mayanists calculate that it's actually the 23rd. So the worst thing would be if the 21st passed and everyone relaxed. <laughs> um, I, I took this from the web. There's so much stuff on the web about the ending of the world. And this one I liked especially because whoever runs the Weekly World News, uh, if, you, if you check on this, uh, they've actually taken uh, paragraphs from a legitimate scholarly publication and then alternated them with statements about how the end of the world is really going to happen. So I thought that was interesting. Um, now, let's try this. This is the area, for those of you who don't know too much about the Maya, uh, where the monuments occur that provide all, all of these dates that I'm going to tell you about in the next few minutes. Um, so it, the Maya area really includes Belize, Yucatan, um, Guatemala and, and uh, areas of Chiapas and Tabasco in New Mexico. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with dates, but uh, this is a, a sequence for the area in which I work. And the monuments that there are two of them that have inscriptions that refer to December 21st, 2012, were actually erected in the 7th century, so in the 600s, which we call the late classic period. But it's a, a really big time in Maya history when cities were bustling and there was lots of building and lots of rulers arguing about you know, who was wealthier and who was more powerful. Um, the red, the orange, and the yellow are the Maya area. I included this because people are usually more familiar with the Aztecs of central Mexico, so I thought I would just show you uh, the relationship there. And it's the orange area that has uh, the monuments that have these incredible dates. Uh, the two sites that are best known for these dates are, site, one site is called Tortuguero, and it's in Tabasco, and one is in Paten, and it's called La Corona, and that's a more recent discovery. But the major monument that causes all the trouble is one from Tortuguero. And this is the inscription, which I'll go through over with you in a few minutes, but basically I thought I would tell you to put your minds at rest that that famous monument actually records the end of a, of a long period of time that's known as the Bakhtun in Mayan languages. It's the end of the 13th Bakhtun and the beginning of the 14th. So it's both, because the verb that they use for end also means beginning. It means ending and it means seeding. So it's very unlikely that it had anything to do with the prophecy about ending, if you take Maya languages into account. But that is what this date is. And the Bakhtun, I will tell you more about it, but probably the closest equivalent is our millennium. And you know what happened between 1999 and 2000. For some reason, everyone knows it's arbitrary, but people get nervous about a change in a date. And, I, and people, some people, not the Maya, mind you, most of the Maya are pretty fine with this change, and they're going to celebrate it the way they celebrate endings and beginnings for other calendrical rounds. So that is what is happening. Now, I wanted to mention, because most people don't know, Maya, very accurate calendrical 
a very accurate observation of the heavenly bodies. They didn't do what the Europeans did. Those of you who know anything about uh, history in, in Europe, people for hundreds and hundreds of years, I think ever since the, the time of the Greeks, believed that the heavenly bodies, particularly the planets, uh, had circular orbits, the heavenly spheres. So that inhibited uh, prediction, inhibited keeping track of the heavenly bodies for many, many years, until Kepler, who figured out Mars had an uh, elliptical orbit. Well, the Maya had no such mis misconceptions. They simply observed the movements of the heavenly bodies. They had astronomers who went out every night and every day and recorded the positions of the sun, the moon, the constellations, planets. And they didn't try to fit them into a model of a circular orbit. They just observed where they were and kept track. And that's how they knew when planets would, come, would return to this, their same position. <coughs> and that's how they kept track of time. Pretty much the way, well, that's what we do as well. Now, it would take quite a while to explain the calendar, but I'm going to try just to summarize by uh, referring to our own calendar. We have concepts of a day. We share that with the Maya. They have a concept of a keen, which is a day. We have a week seven-day cycle. Uh, our year is a little bit more complicated because we have tried to make the f what we call the first day of the month named January, we try, we succeed in having that day be equivalent to the same uh, relative position between the Earth and the Sun. So that every year on January 1st, the sun is in the same position relative to the earth that it was in the January 1st before. And that's true with all of our months. So what we do is try to make the months uh, cropped or lengthened in such a way that the days, 3rd of March, 4th of March, 25th of December, relate to an astronomical position in which the earth and the sun are, are in that same position. The Maya didn't care about that. So they had months of, uh, 18 months of 20 days, and they didn't try to make it fit into uh, a schedule, which, which we, we now would call a, a Earth revolving around the sun. They, they knew that they could keep track of the relative positions of the Earth and the sun, but they just didn't make their months coordinate with that cycle. Does that make sense? OK, so that's important. Um, we have decades, which are 10 times the year. We have centuries. We have uh, millennia. The Maya had the day, which is the keen. They had a 20-day period, the Winal. They had a 360-day period called the Tun. And I'm telling you these because these are the ones that appear on the monuments. Uh, they had a Katun, which is 20 times a Tun. And they had a Baktun, which is 20 times the Katun. And that is one of their major cycles. That's 144,000 days. But they also had higher cycles. And these other cycles also appear uh, on the monuments. Then, like us, we have a cycle of one to seven days that are coordinated with names of gods. We have the name of Sunday, which is named after the Anglo-Saxon god of the sun. We have Tuesday. We, the other days are named after Scandinavian gods and goddesses. So we have a cycle as well. It's just that our day one is always Sunday. Our day two is always Monday. They had a cycle of numbers, one to 13, that were coordinated with 20-day names. So that was their week, a little more complicated than ours. But you, know, you could still keep track of it if you were used to it. Then they had months, just like we do. And I mentioned them already. They had 18 months of 20 days, and they had a little month of five days. Uh, we have um, 
12 months, the days vary. And the days vary because we try to make it fit into what we call a year. So what you see on the monuments in the period I told you about, we call it a long count, uh, are these periods of uh, bundles of time that have passed since an arbitrary starting date. Our arbitrary starting date is supposedly the, the birth of Christ. Their arbitrary starting date in our calendar is 3114 BC. We don't know exactly what happened on that date. It seems to be some creation event that they refer to, but that is their zero. So they count how much time has passed from that zero, and then they give the week, and then they give the month. So this is the um, inscription. Gosh, did I? Oh, sorry, I meant to include a picture of the whole monument, and I guess I didn't. Uh, the monument actually was not excavated. The site was destroyed in the 1960s. All of the monuments were broken up. The piece that uh, has the inscription is in a private collection, but it's broken up as well. One piece is lost, and two pieces are in a private collection. The only reason we know about it is that it was photographed by someone, and, and one of the epigraphers, Maya uh, translators, got hold of the photograph. So that's how we know about it. Uh, and this is the inscription. I've kind of uh, faded away the part I don't want you to look at. But uh, here you have uh, a count of two days. Then this is a, a unit of 20. So you have 9 times 20 plus the two days. And you're counting. You say, how do I know count? Well, it's this verb here that tells you to count forward. So you count two days, nine score days, three tuns. Remember, the tun is 360 days. Five, oh, and I didn't, I forgot to mention. A bar is five, and a dot is one in their counting system. Sorry, I forgot. Okay, so two, two days, nine score days, five, six, seven, eight tons. I'm sorry. Oh, Liz, wake up. Days, three tons, eight cartoons, three back tunes. And this tells us that we're counting forward in time and tells us that that much time has passed from 3114 BC, and it will be completed the 13th back tune. Here you have 10 and 3 is 13th back tune. On the day, 4 Ahau, 3 Konkin. That is December 21st, 2012. Okay. Um, now, where's the controversy? This, the next verb says, it will happen. And then nobody can read these because there there's problems with them. <laughs> these are eroded. The only thing people seem to be able to agree on is that this is a, a name of a god called Bolon Yokte Ku. Ku in Mayan means holy lord. Uh, he's sort of associated with the other world. And, isn't it, and then we don't know. So several epigraphers spent all this time. Some say it will happen, Bolognokte will rise, to, and, and, and there will be an investiture. And some other people say, no, 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 that refers to black and red. And so that has been interpreted by some people as the end of the world, because Bolognokte is considered by some a god of an underworld. Of course, Maya didn't have an underworld, so it's pretty hard to understand. But, and that those verbs are predicting some kind of demise. But the fact is that, how am I doing for time? Yeah? The fact is that this happens a lot in my inscriptions where they refer to this date way in the future. This part and the main monument is about a king. And he is celebrating a particular dedication to a building. And what kings and queens often did was they said, this is my name. This is the day that I'm 
um, dedicating this shrine. This day is 20, I don't know, 10 baktuns, four weeks and three days from a certain date. And this day is positioned here, and it's uh, in 2,000 years uh, will be the end of another baktun. So they, it was common for them to situate that event on, and sandwich it between, and you might think that they should sandwich it between other important events, but what they sandwich it between are endings of cycles. Endings of cycles, that to them was really very, very important. And that's like a whole other subject about why the Maya uh, rulers felt it was so important to associate themselves with cycles of time. So that essentially, in a nutshell, is the whole ending of the world controversy. There is another monument. It doesn't have a long count date, but it has other indications so that archaeologists are able to figure the long count date. And it also refers to um, four Ahau, three um, Konkin in, in 2012 on December 21st. Um, okay. I handed, those of you who didn't get this handout, it will be on the table. If any of you are interested, there are, these books are really fun to read, and they're all about the end of the world. Uh, and I wouldn't tell you this if I expected the world to end because you wouldn't, be able, you wouldn't have the time to read them all. So obviously, I'm hopeful. And then if anyone's really keen, there's this site called decipherment.wordpress. And all the epigraphers who do decipherment, they communicate on this website. And uh, David Stewart has a whole article there about the Tortuguero Monument. And uh, there's lots of neat pictures. So anybody who's interested in this can look it up. I'm actually not an epigrapher. I'm a dirt archaeologist. So in a sense, I know about as much as you do about the epigraphy. Well, maybe a little more. But I, I myself don't do translations. So I often consult the site to find out you know, what's going on um, about the end of the world. OK, now I'm going to end it there. I'm sure that there are things I didn't cover, but we wanted to leave enough time for questions so you could ask. Does that make sense? OK, so I'll turn it over to our other end of the world expert, Francisco. So where are we with these um, uh, prophecies? Uh, the idea that whatever is uh, created will have an end is in all civilizations. If we have a beginning, we will have an end. And there are plenty of images that uh, symbolize that beginning and that end that uh, will come eventually, and it will come eventually, very, very eventually, as we will see uh, later on. Uh, I wonder if we could have a, bit, a little bit less light in the room, please, if somebody is listening. Uh, please, down, so we can see these images because they have... Uh, we are talking a bit of astronomy. You know, astronomy is uh, done in the dark, and we don't want to have light pollution. So if we can turn the lights a little bit down in the room. See, I just wish that. I, that's what you do. That's the Maya. That's the Maya doing that. You just do logo like this, and then that's it. It happens. Thank you very much. That's great. So fire will run, will rain from the sky, and it will rain from the sky according to these apocalyptic views. And you look, you look in the Bible, the book of Revelations, you read these, uh, these uh, uh, terrifying texts. That's terrifying. And uh, uh, in a way, it is true in some respects, we will see. I mean, ends of the world, there have been many, and, uh, and there is a, a website called manyendings.com. 
that I encourage you to follow because it has every year has so many so many predictions of the end of the world from centuries ago. This was in 1910 when the Halley's comet came, and they say the tail of the comet will go uh, across the Earth, and the Earth will be polluted with the vapors of the comets, and then people were trying to fly to the moon and all these things. Uh, that they did in France, uh, it was a lot of panic, and people committed suicide, actually, in those, in those times. Because also, there was, at that time, this is upside down because uh, the south is at the top, at, at the bottom here. This is the planet Mars that at the time was seen to have canals, and there were ideas about uh, alien civilizations, and the first uh, uh, major science fiction novels originated there with H.G. Wells and all these uh, uh, destructive power that these uh, civilizations have. Well, the end of the world may come like that, but we found today that those canals and those artificial marks in Mars don't exist. This is a picture from the Space Telescope, actually. Exactly the same. You can see the similarities of these two pictures, and there is no such evidence of, of civilizations there. And more recently, in the 1970s and 1980s, I think, we have the Jupiter effect, when the planets will be aligned, and they will trigger special, uh, very powerful effects in the sun, and the sun will uh, destroy the solar system or something like that. <laughs> very good to sell books. I mean, these people got a lot of money from that. <laughs> now, they, uh, and you may say, Francisco, you're in the wrong profession. But uh, this is the one that is now coming this uh, year, in a, actually in a few days, in a couple of weeks, I think, or less than two weeks or something like that. And the uh, different things that are coming now to the end of the world that coincide with the 21st of December, according to the end of the 13th Bactun, one of them is this one, a galactic alignment. It sounds terrifying, doesn't it? I mean, galactic alignment. No, I mean, it's, a, it's a, an entire galaxy. I mean, it's, it's, you know a galaxy. I mean, it has 100,000 million stars here, okay? And we are there. <laughs> That's our solar system there. Yeah, we need a microscope to find the solar system in that picture, actually, to, 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 to see the, the scale of that. Well, as it, as it goes, I mean, the sun will be in the center of the solar system. The Earth goes around the sun. And uh, it, it comes to the point that when we see the Milky Way from inside, and this is what you see in the Atacama Desert with a very broad uh, view. This is a fisheye view of the Milky Way galaxy uh, seen from inside as a, as a belt, as you know. Uh, appears. Uh, the fortunate people that have seen the Milky Way will never forget that. And the center of the Milky Way is here, in the part of it where the Milky Way is, is, is thicker. And uh, we see the center of the Milky Way, and the sun will come. As we go around the sun, we will see this. The center of the Milky Way is here, in this cross. This is the path of the orbit of the Earth, which is the orbit of the sun around the, around the Earth by, by projection. So we see the sun coming here on the 16th of December. It crosses the galactic, uh, the galactic um, uh, meridian, and this is the galactic equator. That's the moon coming there, just to give a sense of uh, uh, scale. And this will be about the, the 21st of December, when it comes here. Remember, we are in the Earth, and we are traveling in that direction, so by perspective, we see the sun going backwards, and this is the effect that we see of the sun moving with respect to the stars. And then the alignment is never perfect. These are Mercury and Venus, I think, two of the planets that go around there. And then we see the center of the Milky Way is here, not around this green line, which is the plane of the orbit of the ecliptic. It is a coincidence that more or less at the 21st of December, the sun goes more or less projected against the center of the galaxy there. It happens every year, <laughs> OK? <laughs> Every year. 
so there you go. And the solar activity is an important uh, contributor of what's happening on Earth. There is an interaction between the sun and the Earth, which is very important. I mean, without the sun, there will not be the kind of planet that we have here. Actually, without the sun, there wouldn't be a solar system at all. But this solar activity, this is a cross-section of the sun or any other star similar to the sun, where the temperatures in the center is a huge ball of gas, which is 100 times bigger than the Earth. Okay, it's one and a half million kilometers in diameter. A ball of hydrogen and helium, uh, which is in the center, is, is very hot at millions of degrees, and it's triggering all these activities that go to the surface. And the surface of the sun is much cooler, not millions, but only thousands of degrees there at the surface there. And we see this activity uh, in following the, norm, the, the sunspots. These are uh, pictures taken day after day. The sun takes about a month going around. So when you see a sunspot appearing here, that will be one week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that kind of thing. And you see the, uh, the, the sunspots appearing and disappearing, these manifestations of the solar activity, which are still quite a mystery, these magnetic, magnetic storms that appear in the sun in larger numbers every 11 years. There is a cycle here that uh, uh, we count this, this, the number of sunspots every, every uh, 11 years. The cycle goes up and down, and that's the cycle of the, of the solar activity. So the idea is that uh, in 2012, now in December, the sun will go into a major burst of solar activity, and there will be events like these ones, when you see enormous uh, flames coming out. This was a few years ago, and uh, you see the uh, coronal mass ejections. You see enormous prominences here falling out, coming out of the sun. That happens all the time. Uh, and certainly, the, the Earth is quite small compared with, the, with these uh, eruptions. And this is one, is the one we took in the, in the observatory in North, uh, North London, the University of London Observatory in Mill Hill. And uh, just uh, as a, to show us the scale, what, uh, what the sizes of these uh, events are. So this is what happens with the sun. Just don't blink and watch carefully this, this projection now. Now, what you see there is a solar flare. A solar flare is a very energetic and very fast. I mean, this takes a few minutes. It is, a, a, I'm going to play it again. It, it takes a few minutes, you see the, the time here, but those white clouds that appear just now are at millions of degrees. They are even hotter than the center of the sun, and they send enormous radiation towards uh, outer space. And those enormous solar flares, uh, we can see them with satellites. Uh, this is the SOHO satellite, which is uh, a satellite looking at the sun all the time, uh, blocking the sun, and we can see the external atmosphere of the sun. Actually, we can see stars and planets. This is probably Mercury there. And we see the ejection of material that goes out into space in that direction, but it sometimes <coughs> comes towards us. And you see how they, when it hits the detector in the, in, the, um, in the satellite, it gets all snow, and that threatens to destroy the, the detectors in the satellite. And in fact, these magnetic storms that come from the sun destroy satellites and disable satellites, and it has happened before. And uh, although we are project, uh, protected here by a magnetic shield in the Earth, and this is completely out of scale, but you can see the, the effect of the, the radiation here coming towards the Earth and producing lovely things like the, like the uh, polar lights in the north and in the south. Well, something like that may happen. It's completely difficult, impossible to predict, but it doesn't look like the sun is going to have a major outburst of energy in the next uh, few days, let alone in the next few months. Uh, it will come to the next maximum, or perhaps it has come already. The sun is behaving in a very strange way these years, and uh, we don't have a proper uh, maximum yet of the solar activity. That should have happened last year, and it has happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. 
Another uh, very uh, important and very likely event is the asteroid impact. We have had asteroid impacts all the time along his, I mean, all the time in geological uh, scales, of course. Uh, in fact, the origin of the moon came after a collision between two planets. The Earth was one of them, and the debris from that collision formed the moon. And we have had cataclysmic extinctions of life every few million years. We have the life that makes extinct. And the last one was 64 million years ago. And these impacts of large asteroids may happen every few million years, and we are not uh, out of that uh, possibility. We have the technology to detect these uh, impacts and prevent things like this. I mean, this is a, a lot of material that has been in the media, in the uh, films. And uh, yes, we can um, detect these asteroids, which are very big, and try to do something about it when we have time. And we have the technology to do that. But that's a real danger. None of that is going to happen in this, this year. We know that. So what else do we have here? Volcanic eruptions. Uh, volcanic eruptions, a global system of volcanic eruptions may destroy the environment where we are. There is the Yellowstone uh, National Park, which is a huge uh, caldera. It's one of the super volcanoes, which is dormant and is waiting to make eruption. That may happen in the next few years, in the next few decades, in the next few centuries, in the next few millennia, but, uh, which is short in the, in, the, in, the, in the geological period of time. We don't have any evidence that that will happen soon. The snowball Earth, that was a period about 700 million years ago when the Earth became completely frozen for reasons not very well understood. And that was the, uh, the event that triggered uh, the, uh, the big bang of life, if you like, the, uh, the Precambrian development of life. We don't know if that will happen uh, uh, this time. What will happen is the following. The real end of the world is in the hands of the sun. The sun is a star, and the stars form out of clouds of gas. You see here a time-lapse picture of the sun. Every image is 100 million years from the previous one. So we, have, we are now about here. The sun forms out of a cloud of gas, and it has been burning its fuel. And eventually, we run out of fuel and die. That will be in about three or 4,000 million years. We know that. But if we are patient enough and go to Stonehenge and look at that process happening, we will see something like this. And eventually, the sun will be here. The sun will destroy the solar system. And that is uh, the end of the world, the entire planet. Not only the end of the world, but the end of the solar system as, as such. And that will be when fire will rain from the sky. And the solar system will look something like this. We see other solar systems that go into that uh, process already all over the sky. And we will, <laughs> we will, see, we will see images like this, or people. And at that point, we will see, we'll see images like this. Oh, that was the solar system. But they were astronauts, and they migrated out of, out of the solar system before that happened, which is what eventually will happen if we survive the other, <laughs> the other end of the world. So the other end of the world is more tangible, is more here. And it has to do with people like this. Robert Oppenheimer was one of the physicists behind the development of the nuclear bomb, of the atom bomb, in the 1930s and 40s in, uh, in, in, in the States. And he was terrified by the power of the destructive power of the weapons they have produced. And their destructive power, we have enough to destroy the world, well, not the world, but the environment that gives sustain to, to human life several times over, and we haven't done it. I'm going to leave this text for you to read. This is a very famous interview of uh, Oppenheimer 
talking to the camera when the uh, Hiroshima bomb exploded. So that is the real end, not the world, but the environment or the living environment that we have that we could destroy by this way or by this way. The uh, global warming is a major, is a severe problem that is going to be very evident in the next few decades. The global, global warming that will eventually imply drought and will imply the uh, uh, destruction of the ecosystem that we have and severe problems with the humankind. So at the moment, this is the tree of life that is mainly microscopic. All these are bacteria, archaea, and the single cell uh, organisms. And these are the ones that survive. These are the ones that we may find on the moon, on Mars, in the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. This is easy life. Life at this level may be very abundant in the universe. The problem comes when you come to the multicellular organisms here, and here we are. And that is the destruction that will come uh, if, if with, our, with our activities on this planet. So we live in this paradise planet. We have to preserve it, and we have to cherish it, because the end of the world, the end of our world, the end of our environment is in our own hands. And it is a very short-term thing. We know that the end of the entire solar system will come, but that's very, very far in the future. So I leave you with this image of the Galileo spacecraft on its way to Jupiter in the 1990s, and took a picture of the lovely planet Earth with the moon, life and death. The Earth completely alive, the moon completely dead. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Francisco and Elizabeth. We have time for questions. There's a microphone on its way to you. Uh, uh, hang on, wait, wait for the microphone. Yeah. I said very interesting, but aren't we going to be frozen first? Are we going to be frozen first? It looks like the, uh, the global warming is coming from, uh, from the atmosphere, from the accumulation of greenhouse gases. And it is triggering a lot of events on the surface, mainly the destruction of the glaciers and the polar ice cap in the north and the glaciers in Antarctica. So that will imply uh, warming of the oceans and raising of the ocean level. So uh, frozen, I don't know, I think you should get uh, scuba diving equipment uh, uh, <laughs> to survive because it will be, it will be quite high, the, the, the sea level, in a few decades if things continue the way they are. But to be frozen first, I mean, I remember, yes, you're right. I remember we were talking about nuclear winter not long ago when the whole Earth is surrounded by dust and then the radiation cannot come in and the Earth becomes a snowball. But uh, it looks like the way the, the, the things are, we are going to be uh, uh, pretty hot. And we can feel it that, not especially today, but, uh, but uh, in general, the, the planet is getting warmer. Ice ages come about 20,000 years in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in period, and I don't know if uh, there will be another ice age or not, because the atmosphere is changing a lot. The levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now are highest that they have ever been, and they, have, they are going higher uh, very, very quickly. <coughs> so I don't know if we are now preventing, <laughs> in a way, the next uh, ice age. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, I was 
wondering, actually, in that image of Stonehenge with the sun coming closer, was the sun actually going to come closer or is it just going to expand and explode? No, expand, expand. expand. What happens is when the stars run out of fuel, they, um, they compress the core. And by compressing the core, it gets hotter and it uh, sends more thermal energy and expands the star that becomes a giant star. I mean, hundreds of times bigger than it is normally. So essentially, we will be, their planet Earth will be inside the sun. And we know stars like that. Then we know stars which are bigger than the orbit of the Earth, bigger than the orbit of Mars, bigger than the orbit of Jupiter, and even bigger than the orbit of Saturn. They are really supermassive stars that have gone through this process, 2,000 times bigger than the sun, 2,000 times. They are super giant stars. Hi. I was wondering what the chances of a polar magnetic reversal would be and what would cause it. Um, okay, magnetic reversals in the Earth are observed every few million years, and they happen uh, with some regularity. And yes, the next reversal may happen in the next few thousand years. Uh, the magnetic field of the Earth protects life, in a way, against the radiation coming from the sun and from, from the cosmos in general. And when the magnetic field reversal takes place, the, the magnetic field, the shield, is, is uh, weakened to the point that uh, perhaps the radiation comes through and uh, uh, it's not clear how that affects life. It has happened several times within the period of, of life on Earth, and I don't think there is any substantial record of, uh, of uh, effects of magnetic reversals in the diversity or the uh, extinction of life or something like that, but it, it may be a problem. But there, is, there are no data about that. Uh, is it me next? think. Um, with regard to the Mayans, did they think bigger or longer than most other contemporary civilizations, even modern ones? Were they, their, their calendars seem very long that they were interested in. Are you asking him? Or? Uh, either of you. Yes. Uh, you Whoever's got the answer. Whether, why the Maya calendar system? Well, it seemed, it seemed to be what they were writing down was a pretty vast length of time um, was that unusual uh, uh, with, uh, compared with other contemporary civilizations, I even including is, modern ones? I think it is unusual. They, uh, I, you ain't seen nothing yet. They actually kept referred to, they have dates that are f something like 4,000 AD, our time, and they have dates that go back millions of years. So they uh, conceptualized really, very, really large. Uh, bundles of time. And some of this information is, is re relatively recent. So we, I would have to say that our, in our field, we haven't quite, we're not sure exactly what, you know, what to do with it. You know, or we don't know why uh, they were so concerned. We are, of course. So I guess if we can be that concerned, they could. Uh, but uh, we, we, we don't really know um, a lot about why they were so concerned about not just keeping track of time, but they, but about uh, making uh, keeping track of various cycles. You know. Sorry, there was a question early on here, and then come straight to you. Thanks. I have another Maya question. Uh, it might help us perhaps give us some comfort to know what's the Maya 
track record in making accurate predictions. Like. <laughs> uh, prophecies. Well, they, we don't really find prophecies on these stone monuments. Um, the, it's interesting because there are, uh, unfortunately, we only have three books from the Maya. They, they, they had thousands of books, thousands. But at the time of the conquest, they were burned extensively. However, there are some Maya communities that still kept uh, records and, uh, in, in uh, uh, Latin alphabet. And they do, cons they do keep track of what they call the, the cartoons, which I, I showed you. It's, a bit, it's about, well, 20 times 20 tunes, about 20 years. And uh, they would, for example, kind of like the farmer's almanacs, they would look at what happened in past cartoons. And if there were, let's say, lots of disasters, uh, then in future cartoons, they might say, well, maybe we will have these same disasters. So they did have that kind of prophecy. But the interesting thing is that there is a millenarian flavor to this uh, post-conquest literature. And the scholars, if any of you read those books, <clears throat> the one by Matthew Restall deals with this. And uh, the Maya became Christian quite quickly. I mean, I've, I've done quite a bit of research, and I even have a of a recently published book on that fact. They adopted Christianity quite quickly. And uh, that millenarian flavor has worked its way into their, you know, their culture. So we think that where you do read prophecies, the millenarianism has actually come from Western Europe, which is really the home of, of end of days. Uh, so I think what I could say is, in classic times, you, they don't really do prophecies, but we do see it in colonial times. And some of it, not all of it, is influenced by um, the millenarian beliefs that came with the Franciscans, really. Thank you. Just one final question. Okay, sorry, very quick. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the, <clears throat> the alignment of the, of the galaxy, and you said this is a yearly phenomenon. Is it, uh, does it happen always at the same time of year? Or? Yeah. Okay, so always yeah, every 21st, 22nd of December, you have the, the alignment. We're not quite sure about this. And of course, we cannot see it because it happens during the day. Of course, you, you see the sun. I mean, the central galaxy is behind the sun. So you need a total solar eclipse at that point to see the, the thing. Thank you very much, everyone. And thank you for supporting the lectures. You can now impress your friends with your thank knowledge you. of hieroglyphics. Thank you.